Welcome to the second edition of the ONG Strike Zone. Brian Fulford, Kelvin Rozier, Kofi Hemingway. And uh, we couldn't get too deep into this journey, fellas, without bringing in the Hall of Famer, the two-time Hall of Famer. Yes. Yeah, Hall of Famer. Florida a University Hall of Famer. He is Mr. Alvin Hollins. How's everybody doing? Hubba Alvin. Doing great. Doing great, doing great. Looking forward to the year. Looking forward to getting back on the field, seeing what these Rattlers will do in the Swizzack. That's what we used to call it when I was in school at Southern, the Swizzack. So, the Swizzack. Yeah, that was way before uh, Snoop. Put his, <laughs> and he used to call it the Swizzack. So. <laughs> What uh? So I mean, do you the, before we we run up? We're gonna get into talking about a little from Miak memories. Obviously, you, you spent nearly forty years as the uh, SID for FAMU, and we were primarily in the Miak those years. But uh, when you think about FAMU joining the SWAG, just your initial thoughts on FAMU joining the SWAG. There's a lot of buzz after me coming from Media Day. There's a lot of excitement in the air in that uh, in that room but just in general what are your thoughts alvin well i think it's a move that famu fans wanted to see happen probably 20 30 years ago because we have such strong ties to many of the schools in that conference you, you know you start with the southern series you know southern that was the longest non-conference series from the mid 40s up until 2001, I think we played every year, you know, and that was longer. Have Grambling. If you look at the Orange Blossom Classic records, I think we probably played Grambling as much as anybody during those times. Uh, then you got uh, Alcorn. We had a few. Uh, bat- we had a few battles with them over the years. Not as much. And of Jackson State, I think some of, some of the more memorable uh, FAMU versus SWAC games had to do with Jackson State. We had back-to-back, you know, in 61-62. Then, of course, that epic 1978 playoff game, you know. So, so this game, you know, so this game, you know, is going to be huge, not only because of, you know, the Deion Sanders but it's also, you know, the return of the Orange Blossom Classic. So, which, you know, many of those SWAC, FAMU SWAC matchups took place. And, uh, you know, another another team that FAMU had a had a kind of a long relationship with Prairie View A&M. People kind of, you know, people kind of discount them now because of recent history. But, you know, back in the 50s and the 60s, you know, 
you know, you could say they were the bomb, you know, they were outstanding. HBCUs before integration, you know, it was as intense and uh, as any game you're going to see in the SEC today. In fact, that was the SEC, you know, back in the day, you know, as, as many brothers as playing for those SEC teams, that was the SEC, you know, in the 40, 40s, 50s, and 60s. So, you know, it was so it was a chance to renew those rivalries. And I think for FAMU, you know, it's really puts us back, football back kind of center stage. I mean, nothing against the MEAC, but I think the SWAC, SWAC kind of twins in a way because they both put a lot of premium on football. And football is the, is the is is the thing in the South, and that was the one thing about the MEAC. I think we never really fit in there because so many of their teams came from the CIAA, where basketball was kind of their big sport. You know, you look at the smaller facilities in football, with the exception of maybe A and T, South Carolina, and Norfolk for football. But then they got some, they got some pretty good, they have some good, pretty good basketball facilities. So clearly, we're in a league now that puts uh, premium on the gridiron, and that's what our fans want to see. And of course, the bands as well. And that's another thing that you have in spades in the in the swag that you didn't necessarily have in the MEAC. The halftime, pregame, and postgame shows will be much anticipated. Mm -hmm. Kofi, we go around the horn, kind of this particular episode again, you know, we're going through just some MEAC memories with uh, with Alvin. I mean, there's pretty much, uh, I, I don't if I'm trying to do the math here, since, uh, I don't know, Alvin, were you were you the SID when fam you first joined the MEAC? 1980, yes. Okay, so, so pretty much our, our history of, you know, that's, and that's why we wanted you in on this episode. So, Kofi, why don't you get us going as we go around the horn, and then we'll kind of go, you know, we'll just kind of fire off some thoughts and questions with Alvin. Yeah, what would you say, Alvin, was your your favorite MEAC football memory? Top three. Well, I'll go from favorite to top three. Well, um <clears throat> We, I, I think it, when it comes to the MEAC, clearly our, those epic battles we had with South Carolina State, uh, A&T kind of came on later in the game. But with South Carolina State, see, we had a history with them going back to the SIAC. But when it came to South Carolina State, you know, first with Willie Jeffries, who handed it off to uh, – Buddy Pugh, you know, because because it won't because because here's the thing when we when he handed it off to Buddy Pugh in 2001, Fam you had had only beaten them one time during that stretch after Pugh took over, I think, yeah. you know, until you know until until uh, 19, you know, when we off a year, you kind of forget what did we do in 19? Yeah, we finally. <laughs> we finally we, so we finally got rid of that ghost, but you know it, it had been that long since 2000. I think um, 
he was a uh, Damian Flemings. His freshman year, he went into Orangeburg and beat them. That's the only. That was our only win uh, since 2001 up until 19. So and they took that one away from us, I think. Right? Huh? They took that one away from us. I think. They can't take that away. What are you talking about? about they can't take it away. We need them on the hey, field. Hey, we want it on the field, man. What you talking about? I said they, the NCAA. <laughs> not, not the Ain't no they. We, we don't know who they is. We all we know is we yeah, got that. We don't know who they is. <laughs> Right. So the NCAA, NCAA is about to be passe now, so we might be able to get a lot of stuff back after they close right. up shop. We can go back in the in the archives and find a lot of wins in that place. But no, but the South Carolina State series, um, I think the rivalry and really that was the that was the big rivalry because there was a stretch there, you know, when you think about it. Um in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, when that was the game of the year in the conference, because these were the top two teams at that point. You know, I mean, uh, Bethune, when they hired Brian Jenkins, all of a sudden, you know, they kind of muscled their way into it. You had Joe Taylor. didn't like, or that he liked anyway, but you know, there was always a lot of energy, you know, with the other teams, but primarily it was South Carolina State. You know, I think memory from a uh, standpoint, maybe the most memorable game had to be, one of the most memorable games had to be the that six or seven overtime game we had against Hampton before they joined the MEAC up, up, in, up in the Circle City classic i think we won 59 58 and it was 2020 at the end of regulation so i just go to show you how wild it got you know in the overtimes but uh you know but with and of course hampton um was the only team to beat us in the regular season in 98 and we won 11 straight we're number one in the country in some polls went to the playoffs beat troy in the first round and got gypped out of a home game and had to go to Western Illinois and really, you know, really should have pulled that one out too. Uh, one thing about when you talk about the memories, those are the years that FAMU uh, made the playoffs and under Billy Joe. And I'm going to be honest with you, if we don't beat ourselves in some games, I think it's, it's, it's realistic to think we might have won a couple of national championships. I mean, I think we were that good. We were on a par with people in that in the association, so to speak. I still remember when you talk about memory, in nineteen ninety-nine when we went to Appalachian State, you know, we had uh, lost the A and T a couple of weeks before. So halftime we were up twenty points at App State and the media they're running over to me and Ken Riley going, Who are you guys? Didn't y'all just lose the ANT a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. But you know, we played our big rival the week before, and basically we had a letdown when we played ANT. But we ended up winning that game. I think it was 40. I think we ended up scoring 44 points in the game against Appalachian State. And after the game, the coach from Appalachian State, Jerry Moore, he's a legend. He said, he told the media, ladies and gentlemen, I just want y'all to know that is not. 
thir- that is not the number thirteen team in the country. We playing because we basically ran them out of their own stadium. You know, and that was, of course, that was the year that, you know, everything ended in Youngstown, you know, but I always tease the A&T fans, you know, hey, y'all lost to A&T, y'all lost to uh, Youngstown. I said, yeah, but if y'all had beaten them the week before in the, in the, in the quarterfinals, we would have met in the semifinals in Tallahassee. So, you know, y'all beat us in Greensboro, but the rematch for the national champ for a shot at the championship would have been in Tallahassee. And I guarantee you the outcome would have been a whole lot different. But hey, what can you say? You know, but um, you know, we had, you know, we had an opportunity to play some outs- go up against some outstanding coaches, Joe Taylor, who's in the College Hall of Fame. In fact, you know, you think about uh when we started out in 80, you know, it was Rudy Hubbard. You know, against um, Willie Jeffries. Jeffries left. Bill Davis. Uh, short, short, hmm? it, was, it was Bill Davis. I, I, you're right. It was Bill Davis because Jeffries left uh, prior to that to go to Wichita State. So, I mean, we, of course, we did face him later on at Howard and then when he returned to South Carolina. But there, you know, there were some outstanding coaches that we matched wits against over the years. And, you know, we had some. You know, great coaches. Matter of fact, three of the three of the guys that coached us during those years, you know, Rudy Hubbard, Taylor, and Billy Joe. They all they are all in the College Football Hall of Fame, along with Jay Gaither. So that makes FAMU very unique in that we have four College Hall of Fame coaches. So that's that's nothing nothing to sneeze at. Good point. Good point. Uh, Kelvin, what do you got? So, Kelvin, uh, I was fortunate enough to be around when you got your Hall of Fame uh, jackets, one with the MEAC and, of course, the FAMU. And I'd like for you to discuss two things. I'm going to throw two things at you. First, tell me, you know, now that you retired and you had time to reflect a little bit, what those, you know, your 40-year career at FAMU and, and those uh, and the recognition what that means to you. And then I, I want you to kind of talk about those early years in the MEAC, because I know you was around. I want you to tell everybody when you started at FAMU, and then those early years, why we joined the MEAC, and then what happened uh, the first time we left the MEAC. Well, uh, the recognition, you know, in both cases, I was surprised here in 2005 when I was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Matter of fact, Earl Holmes and I, went in the same year because he was still playing. So his brother stood in for him. But uh, uh, but uh, it was it was a surprise. I think Bobby Lang and some other folks actually nominated me for it. So, you know, I was grateful. You know, I just didn't expect, you know, especially you still working. You figure, you know, once you leave maybe, but to still be in the saddle, so to speak, and, you know, to get to walk down the red carpet and, and it was in the Civic Center then, but, you know, that was very, very special. And then the MEAC, that was a total surprise because, you know, I had come back to work at FAMU and I think Vaughn Wilson and some other folks, you know, put, you know, put me up for it, you know, and, you know, that was pretty special. The thing about it is, 
you know, I enjoyed doing, doing the, doing that work. You know, I mean, I wasn't a big, you know, I wasn't a guy that sought a lot of attention. I liked working, you know, behind the scenes, you know, and putting the coaches and the players and folks out front because that's, that's the job, you know, you to promote, you know, the program. So, you know, I was, you know, I really enjoyed that aspect of it, but working with the coaches and with the athletes, you know, it, that was rewarding. And especially when you, you know, you're going into the hall of fame at FAMU and some of the, some of the former athletes are folks that you work with. That's when you know you've been around a long time, but, and they all, you know, were very appreciative of the efforts that I made for them on their behalf when, you know, when they were playing and for their teams, you know, so you realize that even though you, even though I wanted to, I wanted to try to stay kind of in the background, you know, you really don't stay in the background because people see your publications, they see the stuff that you write and whatever, and they get a chance to rub elbows with you and they know, you know, the, the passion you have for it. And if you've been around a long time, they say, well, you know, this cat might actually know something. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, but it's a, it was a lot of fun. I mean, because being at Florida A&M is one of those places that, you know, you look at the, the, the great traditions, the great athletes and teams, you know, I've always said it's probably, if you, if you just take all of our accomplishments as a program, shoot, I think I might stack it up against Alabama or anybody else. I mean, especially when you look at the caliber of folks that have come through FAMU. And especially when you, and when you also look at the fact that we didn't have nearly the resources financially or anything, you know, Gaither and those guys, everybody, oh, they were great. They had all that talent. I said, yeah, that's true. But they didn't have the same budget as Florida State or Miami or Florida or Alabama. But you look at what they were able to accomplish. And I think, but that was that, 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 but that's the HBCU brand. You know, we over, I guess you say you overachieved, you know. So being a part of that, you know, rubbing elbows with coaches like Riley, you know, which I hope someday, you know, his family at least will be able to be able to see him, see his name immortalized in a pro football hall of fame. Riley, you know, Billy Joe, uh, just so many. I, you know, no matter who the coach was, you know, or administrator was, I really took a lot of pains to, you know, to be able to work with folks because, hey, you know, it's, you know, hey, we all working for the same goal. You know, that was to make, you know, FAMU, oh, Lord, I don't want to say this now, FAMU great again, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not a Trump person, by the way, so don't <laughs> definitely don't want to be identified with him right now because there'll be a knock on my door and you might see me disappear off the screen. You joker. <laughs> but, but, but as far as, um, and you were asking me about the. When you started in. The, when I started and everything. Well, when I, I, you know, I came from Southern University. Uh, Came to Southern University, I was, what, 23, 24 years old. I'd been an assistant director there for about 
Well, really, all my college years, really, I started out at the lab school, which is the high school, like FAMU DRS. You know, I was a stat person. I wrote up stories for the papers. So then when I got to the university, you know, you just kind of grew into it as the assistant. Uh, and then I got the opportunity, met Hansel Tooks, the AD in 78. And uh, 79 spring, he called and said, hey, man, I got a position open. Would you like to come down? And I said, yeah. And then so I came down and I stayed. You know, it was just a good situation. Roosevelt Wilson, Vaughn Wilson's father, was he was the SID and he was actually moving into another position at the university. So but we had known each other because we used to play Southern. I mean, used to play Southern used to play FAMU every year. So, you you know, so I, you know, you sort of knew people already. And, uh, but th those early years, it was interesting. I say, when I look back now and you see where everything's so technical with the computer statistics and internet and social media and things like that. And back in the day, you know, you, you basically, you use that telephone, you used uh, mail, used to mail out releases, you mail out stats, you just did statistics by hand, which is what I did when I was in high school and in college. So it, it was a natural thing, but making that transition, you know, fax machines to, to email and all of that, you know, all that stuff came, you know, it came, it came gradual, but that was the challenge was just trying to, you know, promote your athletes, you know, and keep, you know, and do it in a way that, you know, they were able to make All-American. And, and I think we did a pretty good job. And of course, like I told Billy Joe, the key thing is, you know, if, I, is it, if, I, if I'm telling lies from Sunday to Saturday, telling lies from Sunday to Friday, you guys get out there and make it happen, you know, then, you know, I'm not a liar because you guys back me up on Saturday and they all pretty often did. I mean, we had some outstanding players and uh, and so many of those guys now. And then even, even with, and during that time, when I first got there in 1979, 80, fall of 79, our women's program was just starting too. Mickey Clayton was our women's coach in basketball. And uh, I think uh, Veronica Wiggins, who, recently retired as softball coach. I think she was actually in school, in grad school at that time. Then she went on to Miami and she came back to work with the program when we decided to transition to fast pitch. There's just so much in the way of history, you know, those 40 years. And then- What about uh, those press passes though? Those press passes in homecoming, you gonna miss that? Man, I don't miss any of that stuff. I don't, you know, one, you know, there are certain parts of the game or certain parts of the job that you really uh, enjoy, you know, you know, get preparing for the game, getting the press box ready, and then, you know, then hoping that the team wins because either way, you're going to have to work three hours after the game, but it's always goes a lot better when you win. But some parts of the job, like dealing with credentials and dealing with people trying to, you know, shuck and jive you to get a get a credential, that kind of stuff I won't miss. I'm already I already gotten a few phone calls on my cell from some of my 
some of my rowdy friends from Monday, from Sunday, Saturday afternoon going, hey man, don't forget about me this year. I said, what do you mean don't forget about you? I don't work at family anymore. What? No, man. Who, who gonna hook me up? Get the memo. <laughs> I, said, I don't know who go. I don't know who go hook you up. I'm looking for the hook up myself now. So they said, once I find out, I'll let you know. How about that? You know. So man, over the years, you believe it or not, over the years, I actually been threatened over over credentials. Had my job threatened. By <laughs> I'm serious man. A guy said, man, I'll call the president on you if I don't get my credentials. And I'm sitting there going, I do not believe this. But then I said. Well, welcome to the club, baby. What are you gonna do? It's so. I mean, you, you, it run the whole experience. I mean, you experience just about anything and everything, really. You know, and I and I wouldn't trade those years. I don't think for anything. What What are you? One of the things that uh, I know Kelvin mentioned, and it had me, uh, and we kind of talked about this on our last show. This is now with FAMU leaving the SWAC. This is the third time that we have oh, yeah. left the MEAC. What do you? What can you tell us about those first two instances? Obviously, one that Kelvin mentioned uh, in the in the what was that the seventy nine eighty? What what we that was that, uh, that was 80, 80, or actually, 80, 83, 84. 84. and then and then of course we had the the two thousand uh, whatever year that was for. That's what I. That's what I call the the FBS fiasco in two in '03 and '04, like it was old, like a, like I was in the war or some '03 '04. Yeah. You know, give us you know, give but, us something. But, give but, us but something go, behind the scenes. Go back. Go back to the original. Yeah. The original fallout, and the funny thing is, the fallout was really, it was it, it kind of showed how much people really had that sneaking love for the Rattlers because. The five years of the Florida Classic contract, which went from 78 to 82, had run out. So which we're going to play in Tampa every year. So, you know, we had just expanded Bragg, just remodeled it. And we had uh, we had plans to take Bragg up to 55,000. So the idea was if we could get that game here every other year, you know, you bring that money to the city and the county and all that stuff, you know, you could probably leverage that and the, them, you know, uh, uh, helping you secure more funding to grow the stadium. Plus, it would give us, it would give our fans some incentive to actually buy season tickets because if you remember, most of you all remember, FAMU was like, they were, we were the bingo long traveling all-stars of black college football, but we played all over the country. We played seven road games a year, you know, and, and five, four of those road games were in Florida, Miami, Jacksonville, Tampa, Orlando, that kind of thing. So, you know, we never really, other than a few diehard, we never really made a real in, made real inroads in the seller season tickets. But anyway, that, particular game I mean, that particular situation Bethune and this is the backstory on that Bethune Cookman in 1978 was in what they, their athletic program was in dire straits financially and the Methodist Church basically told them that if they didn't figure out a way to secure more funding 
that they weren't that they, it would not it would no longer fund the athletic side of their budget. So Dr. Oswald P. Brunson got together with Dr. Walter Smith, and they came up with the idea of playing, you know, an, an the annual game in or in Tampa. And this is the deal: we were going to split the revenue 50-50. We would basically manage the game for them and and give them half of the revenue, which was something that some of us didn't like too much, especially Rudy Hubbard. He's like, man, I just, just won a national championship and I'm trying to, I want to build my program. But look, you know, so it turned out. So when we got to 80, when we got to the uh, spring of 83, we're trying to work out, okay, finalize the schedule, where we're going to play. But Bethune wanted to continue to play in Tampa. Because, see, the deal was good for them. They were a small school. They didn't have staff. They couldn't really run a game that size. We could. I mean, we were. We told them, look, we got a 25,000-seat stadium. We can guarantee you the money. You At that time, we weren't drawing 50000 like we do in Orlando. So we could guarantee them the years the game was in Tallahassee, the same money they would get wherever they wanted to play the, when they were the home team. We were basically we were basically saying let's go back to home and home. So we were not opposed to playing. We just didn't want to go back to that that neutral site every year, which meant that we would do you know we were doing most of the work. But anyway, they didn't like the idea. We we kind of hit what they call it, you know, an impasse. They went to the conference and they played the case that man, fam, you trying to kick us out of Tampa. We said, no, we're not trying to kick you out of Tampa. It's just that when it's our home game, we want to play in Tallahassee. You can play it in Tampa when it's when you're the home team. That didn't work, you know, because they wanted that they wanted that half of the gate without working for it. So that's the way I saw it. So they went to the conference, you know, and they 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 laid it on thick, I guess. And like I said, there were people that obviously didn't like FAMU, so. The league said none of your sports will be eligible for any championships in, in 83, 84. And we're like, well, damn, we want to play the game. We just don't want to play it where they want to play it. What's the problem? Well, you know, you're not going, none of your sports are going to be eligible. So, okay, we're fine. We'll take our ball and go home. That's what we did. We left the conference. So we were, we were independent until. 87, 88, we rejoined in 87, 88. 88 was our first year back in football. We played some other sports like baseball. I think we won baseball championship in 87. So, you know, but, and and our women joined another conference for a number of years. So it, but that was the, that was the heart of that. And of course that was the, at that same time as another little backdrop uh, this was 83. This was, the, if you recall, we stopped playing Tennessee State. You know, we stopped playing Tennessee State because, you know, for the... It was cheating! Uh, huh? It was cheating! Yeah. Yeah, we it said we, we will never forget 1978 where we had a chance to win that game and keep our winning streak going and we got holding penalties, mysterious holding penalties on the final drive that cost us the game, you know, we had a 17 game winning streak, the longest in the country. But anyway, so 
of course, we went on to win 12 straight after that. So, you know, but that's, that's, that's the weird part that we stopped playing them because of that. Plus we knew they were, they were playing people under assumed names, which a lot of, a lot of the brothers were doing that, but you know, but Tennessee state made it, they made a cottage industry out of doing things, you know, bending the rules. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was wild, man. I mean, it, it but, got so, that, and that's one of the reasons why they're in the Ohio Valley because they had become so outlaw and renegade that, I mean, everybody knew about it. This, the NCAA, they were number one in the country one year. They were ready to be the top seed in the playoffs. And that's not 99. This was prior to that when Bill, I think it was, there was a, there was a guy from Jacksonville who played, who was, uh, played, who was the head coach there. Uh, but anyway, you know, they had to declare like 12 or 15 of their kids ineligible because they didn't have the grades. And here you are, no one team in the country, and based on ranking, they were undefeated. But when they reviewed their records, those guys didn't have the grades. And they told, told the coach, hey, you know, you had to be aware of it. So, so and uh, it turned out, it kind of justifies some of the things we were saying, but our fans really didn't care. And of course, when Dr. Humphreys came, became to become president in 85, that was one of the two, the two main things he did when we were talking about Dr. Humphreys. Two of the main things he did for athletics was restore the Florida Classic and the Tennessee State Series because we had stopped playing both of them in 83. So when he came on board, he got a mandate from the alumni. We got to have a classic back. We got to have Tennessee State back. Even though Tennessee State actually owns a winning record against us, the thing about FAMU was that during, and we were talking about some of the other teams like Jackson State, Grambling, and Southern, the games that our fans liked to see were against team, against the better teams, even if we lost. Because, I mean, nine times out of ten, you're going to kill Fort Valley or Albany or, you know, or even some years we, we used to kill South Carolina State. I think we scored 80 on them one year. But it's just the idea that there were certain teams, Tennessee, Grambling, Southern, you know, that were going to give us – they were going. We were, it was going to be a four-quarter game. And people wanted to see a good football game. So – those so that's why they wanted to and and they had a, and they had the aristocratic bands they had a pretty good band too so see for the fans the fans wanted to see these games they didn't care about you know the cheating and all that stuff that was going on shoot you know they were there to be entertained that's what they wanted so so that that, that when you talk about some of the contributions he made to athletics those were two he made coming into the door in 85 was reestablishing those two rivalries with Tennessee State and with Bethune. Support the Black College Sports Network so we can continue to provide you coverage. Go to myjbn.com slash support and be a part of the Black College Sports Network. The Cuvée Group is a Florida-based marketing and training consulting firm. We help businesses communicate to their target audience and engage them in conversation. 
We also help to expand their audiences, which will ultimately result in growth for those organizations. In addition to being a certified constant contact specialist, my colleagues and I are also certified in John Maxwell Leadership Principles. We use these proven principles to conduct workshops, training, and private coaching sessions for individuals and companies looking to take things to the next level. Contact us to schedule a free consultation. Issues today, don't delay. Call Cuvay. Majesty is a premium health and wellness tea line focused on bringing delicious yet healthy tea blends to the community. Filled with an abundance of vitamins and antioxidants, we work to blend teas with exotic spices and fruits to produce scrumptious and wholesome beverages. So check us out at MyMajesties.com. That's M-Y-M-A-J-E-S-T-E-A-S.com. My Majesties, an Urban Passport member. This is the Dean of the College of HBCU Sports, Kenyatta Cavill of Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. Come mix it up in the lab where the course lecture is in session every Tuesday from 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook Live, YouTube, Spreaker, or the BCSN app. As we discuss all things about the HBCU sports culture, including exploring the week that was in the sporting HBCU dashboard as well as the upcoming week of HBCU Sports. With me, the Dean, the College of HBCU Sports, on Dr. Cavill's Inside HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. Course lecture dismissed. Follow the Black College Sports Network on social media at MyBCSN1, the number one, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MyBCSN1. I did want to ask this question because the same thing that affected the uh, Florida Classic or the same conversation that affected the Florida Classic is the same kind of conversation that Jackson State and Alcorn ended up having about the Capital City Classic and Alcorn was able to um, get their home game in Lorman against Jackson State um, officially. So it's interesting to see if that conversation ever comes up. Do you see the day when FAMU would host the Florida Classic back in Tallahassee? Well, you know, it's interesting. Southern and uh, Southern and Grambling used to play. They used to play. They used to open the season like Prairie View and Texas Southern do now. They used to open the season. Then they moved it to, to the end of the year. And some people said that was one of the reasons Grambling had to you know, that's why the, the, the series turned toward Grambling because they got better as the season went along, whereas Southern, you know, 
got beat up during the year, whatever the case may be. But um, in fact, they had actually talked about playing that game in uh, Baton Rouge during the, during their spring season, but I think they ended up playing it in Shreveport. But I don't know. I mean, some people still play those rivalries on campus, you know, ex, you know, with a few exceptions. I think because we don't have a season. And uh, I mean, if we had been able to follow through on our ultimate dream of, of a, a 45 or 50,000 seat Bragg Stadium, you know, I think we could have we could have done it. See, because you know, you look at look at Alabama, you look at Auburn, you look at you know, you look at schools like that, uh, Ohio State, Michigan. They play at home every other year. Now, you know, Florida and Georgia is a little different because it's a neutral site, which is probably a good thing. But they've got the facilities to handle it if they decided they wanted to go home and home. Some people like the neutral site because it, you know, I don't know if it's less work, but you don't have to worry about it. You can split the parking and all that kind of stuff. Whereas with us, I just think our fans like the idea of being able to travel and staying in the hotels and enjoying other, all the other festivities. So, I mean, I think we've gotten our folks hooked on classics in that sense. So. I don't know if it'll ever go back. Not a, you see the one, but the one advantage when you look at the schools like Alabama and Auburn or Ohio State, Michigan, they put it in their season ticket package. So what happens is the year that game is, they, let's say for example, Florida State and Florida, the, the, year right. that, the year that game's in Gainesville, if you're a season ticket holder at Florida State, you better be on that season ticket list in 2021, because when 2022 comes around, you won't be able to get your same seat for that Florida game. See, so that's that's how they that's how these schools, a lot of these schools built up, you know, their war chest by bringing these big games every other year, and then, they, then you get on that waiting list for tickets and whatnot. You know, I mean, some of these places they're so huge. Though some of those games are so huge, you know, like if Alabama's at Auburn. There's 40,000 people at Bryant Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa watching the game on a big screen. So I mean that's just, but you know that's the, you know like I said that's a different level. But the idea is you get people, you know, you you get people used to buying season tickets, and that's what I was saying earlier with us traveling so much. You know, people knew around the state, Jacksonville, Tampa, Miami, hey. We're going to get to see the band. We're going to get to see the football team. So I don't need to buy season tickets. I just need to figure out when homecoming is and when it's a classic. So that was that was the difference. You know, that's what we were hoping to move away from when we expanded Bragg. But, you know, things just kind of got, you know, sideswiped, really. And we never, you know, we never realized that dream. Because I really believe at that time, you know, uh, I think there was, I think in the back of Rudy Hubbard's mind, probably Roosevelt Wilson's mind, that they were, you know, the 1A move that was the other reason we left in 02, 03, and 04. I think that was a germ that was taking root 
in their mind then because you know they started we started scheduling you know non-traditional hbcu rhode island uh eastern kentucky you know you think about the teams we played like georgia southern so murray we state. were murray state so we were trying to expand our wings you know so that we could prepare ourselves for this but you know once things change and you know we never we never followed through on it so that, well that's a, we could either say a dream deferred maybe i don't know but we never realized we never really explored the potential of that so did, a, you know, did we did did famu rush that decision back in 0304 was it a rush decision why was yeah. it why was it a rush decision and what what would what could have been done differently uh and maybe i don't know saved that dream well well the thing about it i don't think the idea was a bad one because i think fam you had that type of brand that if done right, you know, we could be, I mean, you know, you know, what's, 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 what's really ironic is you look at, you look at uh, what they call a group of five teams, look at Georgia Southern, look at Appalachian State, look at Troy, you know, these are teams we played and beat, these are teams we played and beat in the playoffs, you know, I mean, dang, you know, Georgia Southern, we had a nice little rivalry going with them, I mean, we beat them three or I think at least three times, you know, but the, the games were very competitive, you know, and it's just, uh, you know, you start thinking, well, dang, what did they do differently? You know, well, I mean, obviously they raised the money, but the big advantage they had, even Troy, which was when we played them in 99, uh, that was their last year in 1AA then. It's not FCS, but they schools were given a five-year run up to getting in and they got to that fifth year and they realized they didn't have the means the money or whatever then they could stay and they could stay in fcs that you know they, they would hold their application until they were ready or they say hey man we, we we can't we can't hang you know but what happened during that time right after that i think the biggest schools saw people trying to jump up and they were worried about people you know, uh, I'm trying to trying to cut into their cut, so to speak. So they influenced the NCAA to make, if you approve them initially, you make them immediately 1A. So in other words, with Troy and South Florida and UCF, they still were able to, they, they were transitional. They were still able to play FCS schedule, you know, for five years. When fam, you applied, and was, was initially approved, we were automatically 1A. So just like was, we were talking about Willie Simmons, you know, you talk about how many times we missed out on him. See, this, this is the third time. The third time was a charm because we, we had him coming in as a transfer in 03. He was in, we were practicing with him. We were getting ready to start that season. And of course, then when NCAA said, okay, you guys are approved, all those transfers, and I think there might have been about 12 or 15 of those guys, maybe more, all those guys became ineligible because they were transferring from one, one A program to another. But now, you know, today, 
you know, guys can transfer. They got a one-time transfer rule. That's that's why Reggie Bush. It was funny listening to him today. Uh, that's why Reggie Bush was saying, "Well, dang, they're paying guys now and all this stuff. I should be able to get my Heisman back." Because when you think about what the rules used to be, I mean, just think if we had had Willie Simmons able to play for us that year, transitioning into. 1A. He would only play that one year, but we had some transfers that would have had extra, you know, additional years. Plus, with Coach uh, uh, Billy Joe said, "Hey, I was able to talk to kids that were 1A caliber into coming to FAMU." So the recruiting was going to be of a, of a different level. So all of that went out of the window, and of course, then you know they found out about you know, the, the rules, violations, but essentially, like you said, the rushing, we didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't have enough, we didn't have sufficient staff. I mean, right now, I think, fam, you, I saw where they hired three people for athletic communications. I said, wow, you know, when I started in 79, it was just me. I think, uh, I think we eventually hired Herb Reinhardt to handle women's sports. But we never had more than two full-time people. And there were some years when it was just me, myself, and I. You know, but that's the way it is with most HBCUs. We don't value that area at all. And after all these, with all of the, you know, the advances with technology and everything else. So you're still shortchanging it, yet you're paying football coaches $300,000 and ADs $200,000. And you can't find money for a second assistant or even a grad assistant for sports information to deal with 15 or 16 sports. So, you know, go figure. So it's so after so after that 2003 season, which basically, you know, all of our games, even the conference games were didn't count. The next year we played Illinois, Tulane, Virginia Tech. And we're actually competitive against a lot of those teams, believe it or not. I mean, yeah, we lost, you know, three and eight. But, shoot, we weren't, with the exception of Virginia, probably Virginia Tech and maybe Temple. You know, we were, I mean, we were in we were in a lot of those games, at least into the mid, middle of the third quarter or whatever. We weren't totally embarrassed. So you figure, hey, if you had a couple more pieces, you know, we might have been right in there. So, I mean – you could see the potential for us if we could have stayed the course. The problem was we didn't do a feasibility study. It was rushed, you know, by members of the board. They wanted to get in there. They thought, you know, they had this, they, they had this television deal with urban broadcasting, which, you know, which, you know, which went, you know, up in smoke, so to speak. So I, th I don't think the announcers ever got paid or anything like that. So there were a lot of things that I think were almost done. I don't know, it was almost a front for, <laughs> for, for stuff that shouldn't, you know, kind of shady stuff. But, in, it, but it, with, in the end of the day, it hurt us because the potential was there. And I think people uh, you see right now in, in 2021, when people in Texas are mad, tech, uh, people in Texas A&M are mad because the University of Texas wants to join the SEC and 
folks in Oklahoma mad because Oklahoma wants to join the SEC and leave Oklahoma State behind. You know, there were folks here in Florida that felt that University of Florida and Florida State did not want to see FAMU go 1A. Now, that's, I mean, I'm sure they didn't, especially at Florida State. You, you know, you have my so at the end, you know, there are always, always conspiracy theories that, you know, they may have done some things to grease the skids. But, you know, bottom line is we didn't do a feasibility study. We didn't raise the money. That was the one thing that, say, for example, South Florida. When South Florida even decided to start football, their president said, look, you're going to have to raise X number of dollars before you can pick up a football. So that's when they hired Leroy a big bank and they raised money needed to start that program. So though you know you 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 just got to do your homework, you gotta lay your groundwork. We were already established as a as a what you call it, you know, we had a brand name. We won a national championship. I mean, Gaither. Althea Gibson, Bob Hayes, you think about the names that roll off your tongue. You know, this program is, this athletic program to hold its own with a lot of people, but we needed to have a little bit more in the way of financing to be able to make it. You had to add more staff, scholarships, more coaches, that type of thing. And of course, you will have to carry the rest of the pro athletic program with you, we were already Division One, so that wasn't going to be a big. That wasn't going to be a big change. It was going to end up being what conference you were going to be in for those other sports. And the MEAC, and that was the other part of that leaving the league. We wanted to get out. We we wanted to leave our other sports in the MEAC. And the MEAC said, "No way! If y'all sit there and start making all that one A money, that's going to filter down to the other sports and going to put. It's almost like." You know, it was going to put everybody else at a disadvantage. That's what they felt like, and they were—they probably would have been right. You know, so but by that time, the sentiment—you know—the worm had turned here. Uh, the AD got forced out. Uh, Dr. Lee, Robert J. R. E. Lee the third, he got forced out, and other changes happened with the board. So basically. You know, we, we pulled the plug on it, which was, again, was sad because Billy Joe had begun to recruit 1A players. In fact, the day of signing day is when we pulled the plug. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, you know, there's some history. <laughs> when you think about it, you, you start going, what are we doing, man? I mean, I mean obviously, we weren't going to be in a position to sustain that thing without the money. And then of course, that's when the, that's when we had the 200 violations and all of that. So there were a lot of dark clouds over the program. So it was going to be tough to keep that going, you know? And I think when we start thinking about, when you start talking about the impact of a Dr. Fred Humphreys, I don't think that would, that whole, I don't think that whole fiasco would have happened if he had been president. I mean, he was a man who had, you know, brought Tennessee State back from the dead and, and kept, helped them keep their identity before he came to FAMU. So he'd already fought 
you know, already fought the dragons of, of state educators, you know, you know, in Tennessee. So he was more than ready to be our, you know, our white knight here in Tallahassee. It's just that when he ran against Jeb Bush, they said, okay, we got to figure out a way to uh, neutralize this brother. And that's, you know, so they, they did some things and, you know, he basically had to leave after 16 years. But you look at the 16 years of president from 85 till 2002, that was probably the second, maybe the most successful run of athletic success that we had had, even maybe even over what we had with uh, during the Gaither era. You know, I mean, it, you know, you'd be right, you'd be matching them up. You know, we won over 90 conference championships, believe it or not, volleyball won like 10 straight championships. Softball was destroying people, you know, and going to going to the playoffs. You know, you had bas- basketball in 1999. The men and women won the MIAC tournament, same year. You know, football, of course, went to the playoffs seven years in a row. You know, baseball won, I think we won six of our championships in an eight-year period during that time. So, and track was almost untouchable and they tennis right and tennis that's right you're right matter of fact uh it's amazing when you look at the success of the athletic program you know during his tenure he loved dr humphreys loved athletics he was he supported it if we needed out-of-state waivers we needed any additional funding he would help if there were kids who needed assistance of any kind as far as you know, a lot of times you have kids who come from tough backgrounds or they just need some compassion and some help. And he loved his students. So he didn't mind and he loved the athletes. When we would bring recruits in, he would come and meet them. Now, I don't know how many, you can go to Alabama and some of these other places, I don't know how many of those guys ever get to meet the president. Maybe never, maybe never during the time they even playing. But Dr. Humphreys, was a hands-on type of CEO, and he knew, and he, you know, he knew the game. He knew that he knew who his kids were, his coaches. So, you know, he loved his teams, and he wanted them to be successful. You know, so he hired Ken Riley when he first got here. You know, because that was the he was the popular choice. Rudy Hubbard obviously had fallen out of favor. And then after about seven or eight years, you know, we were kind of middle of the road. We weren't really realizing that dream. So he said, okay, well, I'll, now Riley was a popular choice for you guys. He said, now I'm going to go out and pick a coach. So he picked Billy Joe, who was, you know, was doing, you know, marvelous things up at Central State. And, you know, most people didn't think HBCU could win more than nine, eight, seven or eight games in a season anymore. With Billy Joe, that was that was part of his contract. If he won nine or more games, he was gonna get a raise. And after about four or five years, he said, I went up to he said, I went Alvin, I went to the president's office, I thought I was gonna get a raise. They had to readjust my contract. I was doing too good a job. <laughs> I said, well coach, hey, at least they didn't fire. How about that? You know, but Billy was a guy that he wanted somebody dynamic, somebody to 
lead that football program. That's because he really believed that if we got that football program going, that was going to help recruiting students. It was going to help raise money from the alumni and keep them happy. And, you know, he, he, he accomplished both of those goals, you know. So, you know, we had a great run of success in all the different sports during that time because that was the kind of, you know, attention to detail he paid when it came to athletics. So. Uh, Kelvin, any, any final thoughts uh, or questions that you want to run by Alvin while we got him before we put up? I, I feel like we could, we could have like a, a, a five-part series talking with Alvin uh, on this. So we, we may have, I mean, there's so many more questions that I know I have. But I'm like, we may have to uh, do a uh, do like a, a special segment in a couple of weeks more with Alvin Hollins, uh, you know. But uh, anyway, Calvin, any, yeah, any, well, yeah, I'd, I'd be open to it. I mean, shoot, I got, I'm sure I have a few more stories here. Oh, in the I, I bet you do. I bet you do. There's all kinds of stuff out there that I, I know I want to ask, but but I know we we only got so much time. So, Kelvin, give you a, a final thought, question, or or anything you want to run by Alvin. Uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing Alvin for, for a long time and I actually worked with him as a colleague too. And so I, I've heard some of these stories. Um, I know he has many, many more, um, but I want to take my time right now to thank him for his 40 plus year of service to FAMU. And, and I know uh, how hard he worked. And when he's talking about being a one man band and and him and Vaughn, I, I, I've seen them at one or two in the morning uh, before a game and doing uh, Olympic sport along with uh, uh, football and, and doing those 24-hour um, games and, and setting up. And it, 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 I saw some of them beatdowns he took <laughs> with uh, some of those folks who wanted credentials and on game day want to be VIPs and so forth. And he, you know, one thing I would say about Alvin, I don't know what did he love it and he worked hard, but he always kept his cool. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, you, you never saw him, you saw him balance all the time, right? You know, he treated everybody the same, respectful and professional. And um and and with limited resources and support. So Alvin, I just want to thank you, man. You've been a, a gym. For my alma mater in this university, you've been a loyal uh, worker and, and administrator, man, and I appreciate you, man, and I love you. Thank you so much. Almost, almost in tears now after that, you know. But yeah, but I mean, I really love what I was doing. And and when you when you talk about how you deal with people, you know, it's it we're in a people business, you know. I mean, whether we like it or not, and you know, you hear about some of the things that are going on or that go on, have gone on over the years. And it always, and then invariably people say, man, Alvin, I always treated people. I said, well, that's what you're supposed to do, man. I mean, to me, because you're going to need, you know, you're going to need help down the road. And not only that, I mean, you know, if the, if the situation were reversed, that's how I'd like to be treated. And, and, you know, you can't always give people what they want but I think if you handle it a certain way you know you can you know you can kind of ease the blow a little bit so you know so I think it's 
you know, you, you just the golden rule, man. Treat people like you want to be treated. Amen. And, man. Yeah. Man. Amen. Kofi, your words. <laughs> wow. I, I, I have so much because um, I think I met Alvin Hollins way back in 1982 as a little boy because my dad was the uh, faculty representative for athletics. And so I would um, spend a lot of time trying to get media guys and just popping into the office from time to time. And we would have, he would take time out to have um, discussions with me. And I really appreciated all of that stuff. And then once I got to college and had an opportunity to assist um, Dexter and the department in some ways, man, it was really, really meaningful. And then even um, doing the whole voice of brag um, episode and everything with him that was very very powerful he's just a great guy from top to bottom and um i like to see i like to I, what i always would joke with him about is uh when i would come into the office or anytime you enter into that sports information office um the door opens and <laughs> his head would turn to the side and that, that left eyebrow would raise up a little bit he would see who it was before he, you know, he would poke up behind that uh, that laptop and say what he got to say. Um, but Alvin is just world-class, a world-class human being, a world-class um, person, world-class administrator, world-class SID, legendary, in fact. Um, I was going to say, um, at that time when they were hiring Ken Riley, uh, both Billy Joe and Bill Hayes were up for the job as well. And Joe Taylor was also up for that job at FAMU. Um, it was interesting because Billy Joe, uh, my dad was like, we need to hire Billy Joe right now. That's need to be our coach. And I was like, well, who in the world is Billy Joe? We need to, Ken Riley's up there with the Green Bay Packers. He's like, listen, we need to hire Billy Joe. So let me say this. If we retrospect because you know marvel comics has this whole thing right now with various and time travel and all this other stuff we were able to go back and hire billy joe during that time uh in 85 86 do you think fam you would have won a national title certainly i think so because for one thing about billy you know because if you think about what he did at central won two naia titles Played in three national, three other national championship games. In fact, I think his playoff record as a coach, mm -hmm. I think his second year at Central, he took them to the division NCAA Division II national championship. He believed in the playoffs. I mean, he that, that, it was nothing for him. He had a whole he had a whole set of plays just for postseason. He had a whole set of plays just for overtime in fact that that game i talked about where we went six to seven overtimes against uh hampton. uh hampton he said he was just about to leave his office and something told him to pick up his overtime chart he had it all laminated something told yeah because obviously it was 20 to 20 end up 59 58 so he said yeah should have i said coach you should have used that during the you should have used that during the game, we wouldn't have got gone to overtime. Hey, you score 39 points with, with nothing on the clock. I said, gee, but anyway, it was just he was fantastic. And I think we would have won a national championship. Like I said, we we came real close, I believe, especially in 97, 98, 99. 
those teams could have won it. I think that Quinn Gray's senior year, that club could have won it as well. I mean, it's just that um, uh, he, he just, one thing, he had no fear. See, I think that's the one thing about most HBCUs. When they get to that, on that stage, I don't think they have it. I think they lose confidence, but not with him. I mean, he'd been there before. I mean, the guy had been in the playoffs. He, he played in bowl games, coached. So, I mean, I think his whole demeanor was perfect. He knew the game inside and out. And uh, I knew we had hired somebody special when I got a call from uh, a sports director in Cincinnati, an old, he's an old white guy. He said, you know, y'all got a good one there. Alvin, y'all got a good coach there. He said, I really thought he could be the head coach of the Bengals. That's just how impressed I was with him. You know, I mean, because he coached in the NFL a couple of years, you know, so, and he played in the NFL. He was on that Jets team that beat the Colts in, in 69. So, I mean, you, you know, that's the thing about, that's the beauty of working in athletics is the people that you meet and those paths that cross. You know, for example, he was, Billy was saying, if they had allowed amateurs, I mean, if they had allowed professionals to compete in the Olympics like they do now, see, he could have, he would have been on the same U.S. Olympic team with Bob Payne. See, because in 1963, and he was at Villanova, he finished, he won the silver medal in the Pan American Games on the shot put. So the next year, he'd have been on the American team throwing the shot put while Bob Hayes was running sprints. Can you imagine what that, you know, if we had had that kind of confluence to be able to say, these guys were on the same team, same Olympic team, and now, you know, that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, that's, like I said, that's the beauty of, you know, life really, but especially athletics, you know, the people that you run into, you find out how small the world it really is. Right. Awesome. Um, final thought for me before we get ready to wrap up this first of many segments, I'm telling you now, first of many conversations that we're going to have with Alvin Hollins. I mean, because we got stories for days and I think it's important that many folks you know, understand and hear and appreciate some of the history of uh, Florida A&M athletics. I mean, there's stuff that that I'm constantly learning or being remembered. And, you know, look, I, I like to say, you know, with Kelvin and Kofi, I'm I'm just a kid from the Midwest that found FAMU thanks to the Circle City Classic. You know, these, these guys were in Tallahassee. They grew up as Rattlers. So, you know, I, I, I learned something new almost every conversation. But I, I'll never forget being a being an undergrad and the first time coming into Alvin's office and just almost like I had I had built up this appreciation of newspapers and media and just stats and just the whole sports information, sports journalism thing. So coming into Alvin's office and just seeing just piles of just papers and magazines and not and and just there was stuff everywhere, man. You had file cabinets and things were piled up everywhere. It was, cabinets, yeah. Hey, look, I'm telling you, it was intimidating. The first time going in there, I'm looking around like, uh, uh, I didn't even know what to ask. I was just, I think I may have asked like one dumb question and went out of there. Like, I, 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 I this, this, this man has too much information. I don't know what to ask him. I don't even know how to help. You know, I just want to kind of do something, 
And so I think that's when I kind of, I don't know, either I found my way over across the hall to Dexter or something because he didn't have maybe as much stuff piled up in the corners like uh, Alvin's office did. I don't know. But anyway, just it was just a, a, a pleasure getting to see you and your work. And I will always say this, Alvin, nobody put together uh, preseason packets the way you did. I mean, your level of professionalism and the first class nature of the stuff that you put together, it, still to this day, I mean, look, I, I was at Media Day. And so I, I can't help but see a lot of the stuff at Media Day from the SWAT teams. And I see stuff and I'm just like, I just feel like there's a an influence of like a touch of Alvin Hollins and some of the stuff that I see from some of the different media po- folks and just the stuff that's in these magazines. Because we always talk about information. It's like, I want to be able to get information about FAMU like someone can get information about Florida State, Michigan, Ohio State. And I always felt that you could get information about every detail of Florida A&M, the program, the history, the coaches, the players, just like you would at any other school. And that's what you brought. And so it was always kind of funny when you get to other schools and you see what they put together and you're like, oh, this is all you got? Oh, okay. Where, where's, the, yeah, yeah. Where, where's the section about the assistant coaches and the, and the players? What about the history of the school? But, you know, and I'm just like, y'all miss, where's your record book? You know, and it's just like, everybody just, and then everybody just doesn't have Alvin Hollins is what they would say. We, you know, I, I'm one guy. I don't, I'm not Alvin Hollins. Okay. I understand. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. What I mean, that was, but that was something that would really, that was a template. And I talked about Roosevelt Wilson, Eddie Jackson before him. We had some people in this, in this office prior to me coming there that really kind of set the pace, you know, for what was expected. And I know Roosevelt Wilson in particular, you know, his his thing was he wanted, he said, Alvin, he said, I want, if a reporter comes to Tallahassee to, to brag, I want them to be able to get the same quality of information and service that they would get if they were across the street. Now, they're not going to get the pregame meal and the, crack crab and all that kind of stuff. But the basics, they need to be able to get that roster, statistics, you know, play by play, all of that. So, I mean, the standards were kind of laid out for me before I got there. And, you know, and that was something that, you know, you took pride in. And when you come to a place like Florida A&M, you get a chance to meet Jake Gaither. Not just, I mean, you get a chance to meet Jake Gaither and Bob Hayes. Uh, Andre Dawson, you get a chance to meet these living legends. So you know that you're, you know, you're in a you're in a place where, you know, you gotta bring you you like Michael Jordan you say, I gotta take my game to another level. And you do, you know, and that's what you strive to do because, you know, those athletes and coaches and the program, it is they deserve the best. And, you know, so the the fun really was just trying to push that envelope and see how much more we could put into it. So, and the guides, in, especially the football guides, those were the things that you. Re- I took a lot of pride in those because you know we were always looking at with Florida State, Florida, and what the what they did, the content, 
And that's what you wanted to do was when we would go down to Florida to Orlando, usually it was usually Orlando. There was a big meeting with all the sports writers and sportscasters in the state in August, usually. They met with the coaches. So I said, I wanted my media guide from Florida and m to compare to those other guys. So that's what you started building towards. So, and then and after a while in the MEAC, they go, man, your stuff is, you're killing us, man. I said, no, you know, this is, this is where we have to be. If we're going to get recognition. And I think that was a key to us being ranked and everything else as, as far as a conference, not just FAMU. You know, we stepped our, up our game as SIDs and we were able to get our ADs to give us a little help. And that was it, you know, but, you know, that media guide is, and see, it really became a big deal for recruiting. The coaches, we had, we had, we printed more books. We printed, maybe we may have printed 2,000 guides and we gave half of them to the coaches to send out. Shoot, and bad thing is, I ended up running out at the end of the season and have to sneak in their closet and try to get some for postseason games and stuff because they still had a bunch left for recruiting, but they used it to send out to recruits. So you understood what needed, how the stuff needed to be presented to appeal to kids and to you know to alumni. So. All right, so uh, that's gonna that's gonna wrap it up for this edition of the ONG Strike Zone. Of course, as I promised, this is just the first of many conversations with uh, with Alvin. You know, let us know if you have any you know questions that you want us to ask Alvin. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. That's at O and G Strike Zone. Hit us up. Let us know, and and when we have our our second uh, session, our second conversation with Alvin, we'll get a chance to maybe throw out some questions, any historical questions that you might have. And, and I'm sure we're going we're gonna to work in some things as the season gets going. We're going to come up with some, like, uh, maybe we'll have Alvin help us with some, uh, with some trivia things as we get a chance to maybe have some contests and give away some prizes. You know, we're going to have to try to do some things. Maybe, uh, uh, I don't know, what do you think, Kelvin? Maybe like a a stump Alvin kind of thing, you know, can you come up with a, with something where you can stump Alvin Holland, you know, with a, with a history like or a trivia question. Like it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to spitball somebody. You, you up for that Alvin? I'm up for it all the way, baby. So just, as they say, bring it on. Let's see what happens, man. I don't know everything, but I know a lot. There it is. Best of five. Let's see who can who can get best of five. Can you can you can you stump Alvin best of five, you know, or something like that. So uh, there it is. So, again, uh, Alvin, we appreciate you taking time with us. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again down the road. All right. Well, I enjoyed it, man. And I'm looking forward to looking forward to more opportunities to chew the fat with you guys. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. For Kofi Hemingway, Kelvin Rozier. And of course, the MEAC and FAMU Hall of Famer, Alvin Hollins. I'm Brian Fulford. Thanks for watching the ONG Strike Zone. And stay tuned for another episode coming up. Uh, peace out.